Well, good morning, NCC. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? It's good to see each of you here. And if you're our guest, once again, we want to extend a special welcome to you. My name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at NCC. And we're so glad that you're with us this morning. You've picked a great Sunday to come on because we're kicking off this brand new series called True Love in Bloom. And we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at love. Um, and February is the month of love, right? Valentine's Day, love is in the air. And so we want to look at this from a biblical perspective and look at God's word and see what God's word challenges us with. And as I say that word love, I realize in a room of this size, there's a lot of different thoughts going through your mind. Some of you may be thinking, I wish I knew what love was, right? Some of you guys um, may have hurtful feelings and thoughts about love, maybe love in your past, love that you've lost or any of those things. Um, there's a lot of confusion that goes on in our world as we talk about love. And so we want to look at God's word and we want to see what God's word says about love in our life. And I can promise you this over the next few weeks, this series is for everyone. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, Aaron, I don't know if I need this. I've already found love, right? I'm in love with the person that I want to be, the love of my life. Like we're together. I found love. I want to tell you this. Love is not a guarantee. It takes effort. It takes work, right? And so you need this series to remind us, God, how do I put effort and work into the love that you've placed in my life? If you're here and you're looking for love and you're saying, I've not found it, you've come to the right place, okay? Because we want to help you. How do we prepare our hearts for the love that God wants to place in our life and what that looks like? And how do we get ready right now, maybe even in a season of singleness in our life? How do we prepare ourselves? Or if you're here and you say, hey, maybe I've lost love. And so you've been married before and maybe your spouse has passed away or maybe you've been married and it ended in divorce. Um, man, God wants to speak to you through this series about what love looks like inside of our life. And so I spent this past week and I was reading a lot about what the world thinks about love. And I found out some stuff, okay? This was pretty amazing. I found out that we as Americans, we spend $2.1 billion on dating websites and dating apps, okay? You guys, we are desperate to find love, okay, right? Like swipe right and Tinder, I want to find the right person, match.com, and we do the profile pics, right? Show my muscles off and how beautiful I am, right? The perfect match profile. Like we do all of these things because we are, we're desperately looking for love. We want to find someone. And so we're people that are searching for love inside of our life. You know, I also read that single individuals on average every year go on 41 dates, some of you guys just got depressed because you're like, I could barely find one date last year. So I don't know who that is that's going on these 41 dates, but obviously we're looking for love. Of those 41 dates, 65% of people said they ended in ghosting. Now, in case you're old like me and you don't know what that means, that's where the person you call each other, go out on a few dates, and then they unfollow you on Facebook. You don't know it, but they did that. They blocked you on Snapchat, okay? They're not returning your text or your phone call. It's like they vanished, right? They're a ghost. They were there in your life, and now they are gone. And you thought it was the love of your life, and they're no longer present, right? They're like a ghost. And that's how a lot of relationships end up. For those of us that do find love, we end up getting married. Statistics would say 33% of marriages end in divorce, now, I always heard that number was a lot higher, like it was 50%, but it's never been that high in the 80s. It was about 40%, and it's slowly been declining. Every year, it gets less and less um, of marriages that end in divorce, so it would seem maybe that marriages are getting stronger, but 
that's still quite a bit. 33% of marriages ending in divorce of people falling out of love or, or um, maybe other things happening there. Of those of us that stay married, 60% said they're unhappy. I don't know what's going on because I'm happy in my marriage, okay? So I don't know where that is. 60% of us say, hey, I don't really want to be in the relationship that I'm in, or I'm not happy with the person that I'm married to. That's quite a bit. It, it once again shows that love is not a guarantee. You don't just fall in love and then everything goes perfectly. It takes effort and it takes work. And 36% of people are looking for love in the wrong place. They're married, but they're out having or committing adultery or having an affair with someone else that they should not be experiencing love with. And, and that's happening quite a bit. Now, Guys, I'm sad to say that the statistic leans higher towards us. 22% of guys, only 14% of women. I don't know if that means that guys are more truthful or we're just bigger jerks, but that's the number there of people that are doing that. And so as I read all of these things, you guys, some of these may be a little bit laughable. Some of them are a little bit more serious. I thought, you know what? We're in a time and in a culture where we don't understand love a lot of times. And you guys, even those of us that are in the church, even those of us that claim to follow Christ and we're reading his word, we're constantly being bombarded with these ideas that we're not satisfied, that we're lacking something in our life, that what we have is not enough. And we're being told that, hey, we can just go out and find something else, right? We can find love again instead of a message of commitment and working on the love that we have in our lives right now or making ourselves healthy and preparing ourselves for the love that God will bring in our life. And so, you guys, this is a series that we desperately need in our life for God's word to come into our lives and remind us of what it means to truly have love in our life, for love to be alive and to bloom inside of us. And so we're going to take these next few weeks and we're going to look at this idea. And I want to start this morning with this one passage and kind of springboard off of that. It's in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. And this is amazing because God gives a whole book of the Bible just talking about love, okay? He knew how messed up you are. He knew how messed up I am. And so he said, hey, I'm going to write a whole book about this in case you need help with this because he knew he would need help. And so the whole book of Song of Solomon is about love. It's about this king and this beautiful maiden, often referred to as this peasant princess who fall in love with each other. It talks about how they pursue love with one another, how they affirm love with one another, and also how they physically express that love to each other. And so in case you're wondering, the Bible does talk about sex, okay? It's in the Bible. It's a gift from God. And it's very clear in the book of Song of Solomon in different parts that it's talking about how they express love according to God's design in this relationship, in this marriage that they're in. So Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15, it says this, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyard for our vineyards are in blossom. And if you're like most people, you're probably scratching your head like, what in the world does that have to do with love, right? Like, what does that mean? What are they trying to say there? And they would have understood that. It was some imagery that they kind of could visualize that we have to really think about. But what they were talking about is, you know, there would be fences around a vineyard to kind of protect it. There would be lattice fences or different type of fences. And there were foxes that would try to crawl underneath it or crawl through the little holes in the fence and make their way into the vineyard. And they would begin to chew and nibble on the vines. And before long, what would happen if enough foxes got in there and they begin to chew on that, obviously the vine would break apart, it would die, the leaves would wither, the fruit would die up, and all of a sudden now 
the vineyard is destroyed. And Solomon's saying that's what love is like. You guys, it's not often the big things, right? It's not often the crisis moments or the enormous things. It's those small little things, moment after moment, time after time, again and again, that will creep into your love life, that will creep into love inside of your life, and it'll begin to destroy it. And Solomon's giving us wisdom, saying, hey, you better take care of those small things. You better look at those small details and make sure that it does not destroy love in your life. And so I want us to look at that today. What are maybe some small things? What are things that we don't often pay attention to that could hinder or block love from growing, from blossoming in our life? And so today I want to talk to you about this idea. Love heals all wounds. Love heals all wounds. Okay, pretty famous saying. Maybe you've heard that before as it comes to love, but love has a way of doing that. So I want us to look at what are things maybe in our past, things that we have, wounds that we have, things that we're carrying with us that love, um, that would kill love or stop love from growing inside of our life. I want you to think about this. Most of us, no matter how young you are, you may enter into life, right, as you're growing up with these ideas of what love will be like who you will marry, right? What that person will be like. You may have a list of hair color, eye color, um, a number of other things, their personality, what they like, what they don't like, all of those things. Like many of us have an idea of what that is. But the truth is we don't enter into that love relationship alone. Sometimes we think we do, but we don't. No matter who we are, we're always carrying stuff with us. And depending on how old you are, the luggage that you're carrying may be quite a bit bigger. And I just want you to think about this because we don't stop and do this, right? But we're carrying stuff from maybe past relationships, from things in our past, our history, our background, how we grew up. And this is entering the relationship with us, right? We picture moments of meeting someone, right? And just dancing through life with them. Everything is beautiful. That image in the movies where the couple is running over the hilltop and roses are flying, right? And music is playing, all of that. That's what we picture with love. In reality, this is more what our life looks like, right? I mean, how easy is it to dance with someone when you've got this thick, big thing in your hand, right? It becomes very hard. You can't get close to people. You're going to keep on running into them. And we're carrying this around. And so many times we don't think about it. We don't stop and think about this right here. But it's affecting our relationships, things from our past, things that we have. And, and we try to ignore it. We try to forget about it. But it's there, whether you can see it or not, it's there. And this can stop love. And so I want us to set this down today. And I want us to begin to unpack a little bit of what this looks like inside of our life. Let me get the right side here. Inside of our life, what is it that we're carrying around that can stop love in our life, what is it that can hinder what God has meant and what God says and keep, keep love from blooming inside of us? And so let me grab this right here and show you. Let me pull out this first thing. This is something that a lot of us carry into our relationships that so many of us carry that we don't think about. Now, in case you can't see that in the back there, this is our family photo. This is my mom and my dad are there, my brother and his kids and my wife and me and our kids and all of that. We carry this with us, right? We carry our family history, our family past, right? This can affect our love life. Can you imagine being out on the first date? You've had a great time, right? Everything's gone smooth. Conversation has been great. You go to drop that person off or they bring you to the door and you're going to lean over and give them a little goodnight kiss on the cheek and then mom and dad pop in. Hey, what are you doing? What's going on, right? What's happening? How was it? It's going to be a little awkward in that moment. 
You've gotten married. You make your way back to the hotel room. You open that hotel door, and your family's just sitting there on the bed. It's going to get a little awkward, you guys, okay? I'll just leave it at that, right? So we don't think about that many times, but we're carrying our family with us. We're, we're carrying this with us. And here's what I mean by this. So many of us, we enter relationships with this idea of this is going to affect us. And it does, but many times we don't think about how it's going to affect us. And we even make statements like this that are not true. You know what? My grandparents were divorced. My parents' marriage ended in a divorce. I guess I'm just destined to get divorced, right? Like my relationships aren't going to work out. My relationships, they're just going to be horrible. I, I just know that I'm cursed in love, right? Like there's this generational thing. There's just this thing about our family. Like we can't make it work. We can't survive in this. When it comes to love, we're going to fail. I know it. I just know that I'm going to fail. I'm not going to succeed. Why? Because we're carrying this around with us, right? We've got this. It, it goes everywhere with us, and we're holding on to that. Or how about this one? Man, my parents' marriage was perfect. Like my mom and dad, they just loved each other. They served each other. They never fought. And can I tell you, that's a lie, okay? They just hid it from you, okay? Honesty moment right here. You may be realizing this. No marriage is perfect. No relationship is perfect, okay? You may think theirs was, but I promise you it was not. They just probably hid it from you very well, okay? And you could think of this, you know what? I can never live up to this. I can never be like them. I'm not like them, right? You get into your first fight, you get into your first disagreement and you think that's it. We need to separate. This isn't going to work. We're done. This is the end of it, right? My parents, I never saw them fight. So this must mean we're doomed. We're not destined to be in love with each other, but that's not true. But the problem is you could be carrying this and never realize how it's affecting you. Never really stop and process what this means. God's word talks about this in the book of Ezekiel. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 14. And this is what it says. Ezekiel 18, 14. God's giving us a picture of someone who has turned their back on God, a man or a woman who has not followed after God, and they have kids. And the people of God had this idea, well, the kids are automatically going to be stuck following in their footsteps. And this is what Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 14 says. But suppose that this individual who doesn't follow God, that they have a child. And this child that they have sees all the sins of their parents that their parents committed. And they become alarmed and they do not follow after them. They don't eat on the mountains or they don't pay attention to the idols or worship false gods. They don't defile their neighbor's wife. They don't cheat anyone. They're not seizing collateral for loans or committing robbery. They give their food to the hungry and they clothe the naked. They refrain from oppressing the poor by taking neither interest nor profit. They observe all of my laws and follow all of my regulations. He won't die because of his father's guilt. No, he will surely live. What is it that God is saying in this passage? What does this have to do with love? He's saying, hey, you're not under a generational curse. You're not destined to fail just because of your family history. You actually have a choice. God's people thought this. No, we're, we're under a curse. We can't help it. We're just automatically going to repeat the sins of our father. And, and God's saying, no, you actually have a decision to make when it comes. You actually need to step back and, and unpackage this luggage that you've been carrying around in your life and look at, hey, what was my family like? What was that history? What was the background? What are the things that I need to be alarmed about that I saw in other relationships growing up? 
What are things that I need to observe and be careful that I don't repeat them in my life in the relationships that I saw growing up? What are the good things? What are the things that I need to build on? But I'm not just controlled by this, you guys. And so many of us were living with that mindset. Well, I'm just cursed in love. My parents were divorced. and I'm going to get divorced or I can never have a marriage as good as my parents. I'm just going to keep messing things up and destroying things. And that's not the case. You and I, we have a decision to make. But you've got to unpack this. You've got to confront family failures. We're just really honest in our household. I tell my kids over and over again, your dad is really messed up, you guys, okay? Just going to be honest. Like, I don't have it all figured out. Why? Because when they grow up, my desire is not that they become like me. It's that they become like Jesus. And I want them to take a foundation. Hopefully, I'm trying my best, you guys, to love Sarah, to honor my wife, to respect her, to lay down my life. But I realize I'm not doing everything perfect. And if my kids think I'm perfect, they're going to try to be living up to my standard. And that's going to mess them up really bad. They need to live up to God's standard and to strive to be like him. And so I'm just really honest, like, hey, you're going to at some point have to wrestle with mom and dad's marriage, and you're going to have to look at it and say, hey, what are good things that I want to take away, and I want to add that to my relationships, and what are bad things that I saw them do that I don't want to invite into my house, and I don't want to be part of my family? You're going to have to do that as you grow older. Church, we have to realize that. We have to confront those things in our lives and have honest conversations because this can stop your love life. You've never stopped and looked at your family history and evaluated it, and you feel like a victim to it. You feel like you'll never live up to it. It can destroy the love that God wants to bring into your life. And we just need to be honest and step back and say, okay, God, what's that family history that I'm bringing into my love relationships? And God, how do I take the good things that I can learn? And how do I leave the things that aren't supposed to be there? Can I just give you one more thing? here that some of us need to realize is some of us have invited our family into parts of our marriage that they should not be in. You are no longer an eight-year-old boy or an eight-year-old girl. You don't run to mommy and daddy anymore, okay? Just preaching some truth here this morning, you guys. And some of you, you're taking your issues of your marriage back into your home. You're discussing those things with your mom and your dad in a way that they should not be. You're not that little boy anymore. You're a grown-up individual, And you need to be discussing those things with your spouse, with the person that God has given you, with the person that you're called to love. And I hear so many people, I have issues with my father-in-law, I have issues with my mother-in-law, we're having problems. Why? It's because you've brought them into parts of your marriage that they don't belong at this point. Now, you love your parents, you respect them, you honor them and the wisdom that they can speak into your life, but this is the person God's called you to love. Now, that person that God has given you, that's the person that you're developing that unity and that relationship with, and you better make sure that they're the person that are in those intimate conversations, in those detailed parts of your life, not other family members that don't belong in those specific areas. You have to do that. You guys, our past and our history, they may shape who we are at this point, but they don't have to determine who we will become. Our family life, they shape in that past that we've been through. They're shaping who you are at this point. They do not have to determine who you will become. And if we want love to grow in our life, we've got to take a step back. We've got to unpack this and look and say, God, is there a point where I'm allowing my family, God, to still control me? I've not confronted maybe even failures or maybe even good things in my family history. And I need to do that, God, because it's hindering or it's stopping love in my life in the way that you've called me 
to have that. God, I'm not a victim. There's a choice that I get to make as it involves love inside of my life. You know, there's something else that we carry around that sometimes we don't think about, and it's this right here. Let me grab this for you. It's a broken heart, okay? This used to be a delicious box of chocolates, and I tore it up, okay? But many of us, we're walking around with this in our life, okay? And some of us have more of these than others. Let's just be honest, okay? A little honesty moment here. Some of us have done this a lot. We've gotten in relationships. We've given our heart away, right? And, and it's been broken, and we've not really processed through that. We've not thought through what it means to actually have loved so many times and then maybe been betrayed or maybe been left, or maybe that person just vanished, right? They didn't want to be there anymore. And our heart gets broken in that process. And many times we don't think about that, right? That's just the culture that we live in. That's just, just the world. But we don't think about, hey, what does that do when over and over again your heart gets ripped apart and it gets torn apart? It will affect you. And it can actually stop the love that you have in your life. For some of us, it's not a relationship that we've been in. It's been something like this. Like you were really little. Maybe you were younger, middle school, high school. You were up late at night and you were flipping through the channels and you saw something that you should have never seen. You viewed that. And all of a sudden, these feelings started to swarm you, and, and you thought, man, I've never seen or experienced that before. And in that moment, that's not sin. What is sin is when you flip back to that channel. And when you keep on going back, you guys, over and over again to look at those images of either people naked or half naked or whatever builds up these desires in you, and you fulfill them in a way that God said is not holy, in a way that is not right, in a way that you were not meant to. And what you've done is you've invited sin into your heart, and whether you realize it or not, that sin will break apart your heart, and it will destroy you. It will. Over time, that will affect the way that you view that other individual, the way that you view that woman or that man, because you've seen them in that light, will destroy your image of love, and it will rip and tear your heart apart. And a lot of people aren't going to tell you that, but that will destroy our lives. Sin will come in and it will break our heart and it will affect the way that we love other people. Or how about this? You were on a date and everything was going good and you'd been dating them for a while and you thought, you know what? We're going to be together forever, right? This thing is going to last. He said he loves me. She said she loves me, right? So why wouldn't we just go all the way and express our love as much as we can in every way that we can physically because we know that we're gonna be together forever and you do that, you give yourself to someone sexually and all of a sudden now they're gone. And whether you realize it or not, you've just broken your heart and you've gone to a place that you were not called to go yet that you didn't have a commitment for and you gave yourself to someone and whether you realize it or not, it breaks apart your heart. And many times we just try to hide it. We want to forget about it. We want to stuff it in this luggage right here and act like it didn't happen and think that we can go on, but we can't because we've broken something in our lives. And for others of you in this room, there's this sad truth, and I'm sorry to have to say this, is it wasn't a sin that you committed. For some of you in this room, you're walking around and love seems difficult, love seems hard because someone else sinned against you. And you were young and you were at some family member's house and you were alone in that room and someone came in and violated you in a way that they should never have. And they stole something from you and they took your innocence. But that sin that they brought into your life, not something that you did of your own, it broke your heart. It broke love in your life. And you guys, that's 
a process. And what happens, once again, what the world tells us is we just move on, right? We just move to the next relationship. We just go on to the next thing. But you guys, our heart is broken and we have to unpack that and we have to process that if we're going to move on and not allow our past to haunt us and not allow our past to limit love in our life. You've got to take those things out. You've got to have some honest conversations. God's word talks about this. If you have your Bible still open, Psalms chapter 51, verse three says this. Psalms 51, verse three, this psalmist David is writing this and he says, for I know my transgressions and God, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and I've done what is evil in your sight, God. So purge me with hyssop, this is verse 7, and I shall be clean, and wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What's going on? David's saying, hey, I've done some stuff that's affecting my love life. I'm carrying around some things that are still hurting me, and they're affecting me, and I need to unpack those. This is what happened, in case you don't know David's story. David's up on top of his housetop. And he's walking around, looking around, and he sees a lady that is naked. She's outside. I don't know what she was thinking, taking a bath outside, but she is. And David happens to see her. And once again, it's not sin in that moment, but David continues to stare and something enters his heart. And that's at what point he decides, you know what? I'm going to allow these thoughts and these feelings to take over. And he's the king, so he can do what he wants. And so he calls this woman to come and he sleeps with her. That's not his wife. It's another man's wife, but he sleeps with her. And then she gets pregnant and David's the king. So he's got to do something, right? Like I've got to cover this up. And so he calls her husband Uriah back from war. He was out fighting a battle and he calls Uriah home and he thinks I'll have Uriah go home and sleep with Bathsheba and no one will ever know what I've done. Like this will be covered up. He'll just think it's his kid. And it doesn't work. Uriah is a man of integrity. And he says, hey, while everyone's fighting, I'll not go home and enjoy the comfort of my wife. I'm not going to do that. And so he sleeps outside of David's house. He sleeps outside of the palace. And David gets frustrated. And so he sends Uriah back. And he tells his commander at the toughest point of the battle, when the enemy's just running right at you, tell everyone to pull back and leave Uriah up front. And he kills this man. He has this man murdered to cover up his sin to cover up the affair that he just committed. And David thinks, okay, I've got it all taken care of. No one knows except just maybe two or three people that are close to me. No one's ever going to know what happened. But then a prophet comes and God begins to expose that in David's life. Hey, David, you can't cover up your sin. And David realizes this. And in this moment, he starts to unpack it. God, I've allowed sin to enter my life, God, and it's breaking apart the relationships that I have. God, it's destroying some things. And David just gets really honest with God. Have you gotten honest with God? I mean, have you said that, God? Maybe there's points in my life, God, where I was not sexually pure, Lord, and I'm not going to try to hide that from you anymore. I'm not going to act like it didn't happen. God, this is where I'm at. Hey, God, I need to be really honest with you. It's not something that I did, but at some point, someone violated me in a way that I did not want and I did not ask for, God but it's affecting my life, God. There's brokenness. It's not my sin. It's sin that someone else committed against me, God, but I'm not gonna act like it didn't happen, Lord. I want to unpack and I wanna process those things because, God, I don't wanna carry this around with me anymore. I don't wanna live with this constantly in my life, God, hindering the love that you wanna place inside of me, Lord, so I wanna have some honest conversations. If that's you and you're dealing with maybe sexual abuse, you're dealing with sexual addiction, 
You don't have to do that alone. Part of your unprocessing and, um, or unpacking that and processing through that Maybe meeting with a godly counselor, maybe someone else in your life that can speak into those situations because some of those things are really difficult, but you don't have to live carrying that around anymore, church. It is, it'll affect our life. It'll affect the love that God has called us to have, and, and we don't have to live like that anymore. And so God's word challenges us, and the answer, church, is not to hide it. It's not to stuff it away and hope that it goes away at some point. It will affect your love life, and God is asking us to set those things down. Let me give you one last thing as we close out this message today, and it's this right here. This last idea, as it comes to love inside of our life and allowing love to bloom and grow inside of us, accepting love isn't the same as expecting love. Accepting love isn't the same as expecting love. I told you those statistics at at the beginning of the message, right? Like we're looking for love. We expect love. Like even if you're married, you're expecting love from the person that's committed their life to you and that's going to be faithful. You expect that. It's much more difficult to accept that. So many of us are walking around and we want love, but we have a difficult time actually opening up our lives and accepting that. Let me show it to you like this, right? So you're, you're out on a date or maybe it's close to Valentine's Day and you get this cute little guy, right? Someone's going to bring it to you as a gift. And they show up at your door. I guess if you're a girl and you give this to a guy, it may be a little weird. Let's say like stuffed animals. I don't know. Okay. So they come up and they give this to you and they hold it out, right? It's a symbol of their love or that they're interested, right? They did something special. They thought about you. Husbands, you come home with this, you know, for your wife to let her know how much you're thinking about her and how beautiful you think she is or soft and cuddly. I don't know, right? You hold that out. And then something else has to happen, doesn't it? Yep. Like either you're, they're going to drop that, right? Or they're going to accept it, right? They're going to reach out and they're going to grab that in their life and they're going to take it for their own. That's what love does. You offer it to someone, but then they have to receive it. It's the way love works. You have to accept that. And what happens, and I believe it starts in our relationship with God, is we can't accept God's love many times. And it's affecting the romantic relationships, the love that we want to have in our life because of our view of God. And I'm just going to be honest, you guys, I struggle with this. I I so much want to earn my relationship with God. I want to go to God and say, look, I'm good enough. I'm doing enough good stuff. God, I'm trying really hard and I'm strong enough on my own. God, you should love me now. And that's not the way it works. And it's so hard for me to accept this love when I'm broken when I'm jacked up, when I'm messed up, when I realize that my life is so far away from God's standard and who he is, and it's hard for me to accept, wait, you love me unconditionally? God, you you keep accepting me in, in spite of my mistakes and my faults. And when I struggle to do that with God, you better believe I struggle to do that with my spouse, with the person that I'm calling, I'm called to love. If you can't receive that from God, it's going to be very difficult to either demonstrate that or to accept that from someone else. Do you want to know why relationships are so hard many times? It's because we don't trust God. We don't trust that God could love us in that way. How can a messed up, broken other human being love me like that? We don't trust that God could really forgive me. Wait, you no longer hold my sins and my mistakes against me? And when I can't receive that from God, it is so difficult for me to actually believe, wait, my spouse isn't holding that against me anymore. 
They're not still thinking about that. See, many times it's our relationship with God. We don't know how to accept love. We're expecting it. We want it in our life, but it's such a different thing to accept that. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says it like this. Above all, keep loving one another. Love one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins. What does love do in your life? It offers forgiveness. It offers trust. And it's beautiful when I start to realize that's how God loves me. It becomes so much easier for me to accept that from Sarah, that she loves me, not because I'm perfect, because she believes the best about me. She wants me to become the best that God wants me to be. When I, when I truly can trust God that he's got my best interest in mind, it's so much easier in this relationship to trust, hey, Sarah, you're not in this for personal gain. You're not in this for just what you get out of it. You actually love me and you're here to serve me and you want the best for me. See, it becomes difficult when I can't accept that from God to accept that from other people. And some of us, the most difficult thing we're carrying around in this right here is we've not really looked at our relationship with God and accepted love from him. We're still struggling with that, you guys. We're still trying to earn it. We're still trying to work hard enough. We're still trying to be good enough. And the truth is we won't and we can't be. And yet he loves us in spite of all of that, you guys. 